0: Well, happy Mother's Day, Harvest. It is uh, wonderful to be back. Um, last Sunday, I was at a Harvest Peoria in a building four times the size, three services on Sunday, and it just reminded me how I love being here <laughs> with you. And um, God's really doing a work, it's so cool there, and yet uh, love being with you. Uh, you're special, you are special. Moms, um, and really everyone today, uh, my objective today is to provide you with some hope and help from God's living word. That's what we are about as a church, and that's what we want to see happen today. And I'd actually like to kind of begin with a reminder to you, especially moms. uh, Moms, you're not defined by your life with diapers, You are not defined by your life with diapers, or with sippy cups, or with laundry, or with potty training, or with science projects, or track meets, or music lessons, or school grades, or whether your child recycles or not, or whether your child had the perfect prom dress or tux. Um, You're not defined by whether your grown children are, in the eyes of the world, successful. That's not the definition, ladies, and whether moms or not. um, You're not defined by life with your children. You're defined by life with the Lord, ultimately. And in times when it's hard with the kids, that's especially meaningful in that reality of it. Uh, But uh, motherhood is marvelous. Uh, But it is not your ultimate identity. And turn your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're kind of in the early uh, weeks of a series through Samuel. uh, When on the very first Sunday of that, I I took us through chapter 1. And um, and then kind of came back and and ran through chapter through Literally just read through chapter 2. Uh, Was going to be bringing it back for Today. On Mother's Day. And so we're going to kind of park our time there. Hannah battled with the battle that every one of us understands. She knew the war for our, her identity, she knew the war for her own identity. We saw that in chapter one. Uh, she battled over who and what would define her as a woman. And the circumstances of her story are told to us in 1 Samuel chapter 1. You can see it there. Here, this is, is, here's a woman, an Israelite, a worshiper of Yahweh, a daughter, a sister, a wife, who desired also to be a mom, which is a wonderful thing. But we learn in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 15 that the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord did. The Lord had closed her womb, and as a result, she was really, frankly, mercilessly picked on picked on by society, picked on uh, by Peninnah. She was uh, kind of insensitively misunderstood even by her husband who loved her, the text tells us. Um, She was misjudged by Eli, a priest. I mean, it's kind of like you read through chapter one and you just ache for this woman. Uh, We learn in chapter one that as a result of it all, understandably so, we, we read that she's deeply distressed She's afflicted with great anxiety and vexation. It talks about how she weeps bitterly. There's even the one statement towards the end that really kind of gives you a sense of her reply is saying that she feels worthless as a result of all of her situation. But we saw in it all that she continues to go before the Lord, even in her pain. And uh, she pours out her soul Uh, Verse 15 talks about before uh, the Lord in it, and and something happened there on this one particular year when they're going to the temple. On this particular year, something happened there, and and, uh, it tells us that when when uh, Hannah left her time with the Lord in Shiloh, she left there, and her face was no longer sad. Friends, I'm just telling you, it's one of my favorite, become one of my favorite things here all this year. Something happened there. And we don't even know the details of what happened there, and I actually love that. But something happened there between her and the Lord, and uh, she walked out with a smile on her face, even in light of all the pain. And then the text tells us in chapter one, in due time, Hannah conceived, bore a son, and she called his son Samuel, for he, uh, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And Hannah followed through on her kind of unique vow to the Lord to take Samuel to the temple and he would be there uh, for his life serving the Lord there. And I, I love it towards the end of uh, chapter one, it, it talks about how she says that uh, he is lent to the Lord. By the way, every parent in this room, we could do a sermon series on that. We could do a parenting workshop on that. Your children are lent to you. They are the Lord's, and here she is returning that back, if you will. Keep that in mind, whether your children are young or whether they are old, uh, lent to the Lord. Then we hit chapter 2, and uh, man, I'll tell you, her whole life situation changes um, in this. You end chapter 1 happy, she has a child, but I'm going to tell you, look at chapter 2. In fact, let me just read verse 1 to get us started to see what's going on here. Chapter two, verse one. And Hannah prayed and said. Now understand, these next 10 verses, these are her prayer, okay? Uh, it's not very often that we write our prayers out and that we, they even get published. But here we get to get inside this woman's head and her heart and see what's really going on as a result of everything she's been through. Hannah prayed and she says this. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Well, here we are, Hannah, she prays. Um, this is her present. Hannah has gone from this rough, rough situation To now, we see the first uh, words of this is she is, like, thrilled with the Lord. And and I've ordered this, actually, as odd as this sounds, I've kind of ordered this by the tenses of the verbs. Now, that sounds real heady, doesn't it? I, I don't like grammar. Sorry, grammarians. But I think it's important in this because we first find out Hannah's present, and we find out that Hannah has gone from deep in life hurt to now moving into a place where she is rejoicing in the Lord. Let's take a look at what she is saying here. Let's work this out. First, her heart is ecstatic in the Lord. She says, my heart is ecstatic in the Lord. Heart. Oh, by the way, in modern days, we think heart is so much of the emotion, the ooey-gooey, I just feel, oh, so warm and and fuzzy, warm. That's not what was really the main thrust in biblical times. The heart was more the inner self. It was the control center. It would actually be, for Hannah, it's one's intellectual commitment The heart in Scripture is first and foremost an intellectual thing. It's a knowledge thing, and out of that knowledge combined with emotion as well. Listen, I have never done life ever just intellectually without any emotion. It just doesn't happen. Uh, But at the same time, emotion always has intellect, thinking that's going behind it, whether it's good thinking or not. And here, this carries this idea that that now she is, her heart, her thinking is ecstatic in the Lord. Man, what a turn for this sweet woman. What a turn, because last time in the first half of chapter one, she is in pain, pouring out her pain before the Lord. By the way, that's what a person who's doing life with the Lord does. Both the pain is poured out and the absolute ecstatic joy is poured out before the Lord. That's what's happening here. My heart is ecstatic in the Lord. Second, she makes this statement, my horn is exalted in the Lord. I've called this my dignity is elevated in the Lord. Horn, we don't get that. Uh, That's unique to ancient uh, way of thinking. I'll just cut to the chase. It's referencing this idea of strength. It's referencing this idea of confidence. It's referencing this idea of one's identity. It's this sense of dignity. Before, here is this woman mocked in her society for being childless. In that day, being childless for a woman was one of the worst things that could ever happen. I'm not saying it's less hard today, but in that day, societal pressure, you were viewed as an outcast in that day. Thank God that's not the case so much nowadays, but but in it, she has all of this in it, and yet her dignity is just down and out. And yet here now, I'll note this, not only is she ecstatic in the Lord, but her dignity is in the Lord. And hear me very clearly on this uh, aspect of this. She is not talking about, as we talk about today, her self-esteem. I'm just so out on self-esteem personally. Because it's not about self-esteem, it's about being God-esteemed. It's not about going, I am awesome. I just want for you all to know, I think I'm awesome. (laughs) what? Like everyone deserves a trophy. What? (laughs) Hey, life is hard. And life can really hurt. And a lot of life, you don't get trophies. But here's this statement that our culture needs to hear today. Her dignity is not in who she thinks she is. Her dignity is founded upon who the Lord is and who she is in the Lord. That's real dignity. Not because she's awesome but because her God is awesome. And because her God is awesome, she delights and in it she rejoices and her own dignity is elevated because of the Lord. Third, her mouth is euphoric in the Lord's salvation. My mouth is euphoric in your salvation. Now, this term that it talks about, my mouth derides my enemies, uh, understand this, I don't think this is saying that, because in the Hebrew, this actually means your, or, uh, the mouth derides, if I could literal translation, it would be this idea, my mouth swallows up. Now, what she's not saying is, I just want all those people who mocked me, including Peninnah, uh, all those in her time that mocked me, I just want to swallow you up and eat you. That's not what she's saying. What's really happening here, I think, as I understand this text, as I've been looking at this closer this week, is this idea. When my mouth... Rejoices in the work of the Lord and what the Lord has done. And if you know Christ as your Savior, when your mouth speaks of what he has done, when you speak that, all of the outside anger, all of the outside mockery goes away. Because when we speak of what the Lord has done, it trumps it all. Maybe that's not politically correct to say that. It supersedes it all. It comes over it all. Okay? She is euphoric. And in her speaking of what the Lord has done, it conquers. It conquers. By the way, note in this opening statement of verse 1, it's all first person. It's my mouth. It's my dignity. It's my heart. This is her present reality. This is not a hope, this is not a wish. This is an is, and this is her own, this is mine. By the way, I will say this, note, it doesn't say anything about diapers, sippy cups, dishes, or even motherhood. It doesn't say my heart is ecstatic that the laundry is done. Although when it is, get ecstatic. It doesn't say that my dignity is elevated because finally I'm being appreciated as a mom. But hey, Take, take the home runs. It doesn't say my mouth is euphoric that after a trip to Walmart, our family is still alive. Okay? It's not saying that. Uh, again, seriously, uh, celebrate the small victories. But see what she is saying here, women and men. What she is saying is that as a woman as a human created in God's image. My identity does not come in my career, or my house, or my car. My identity does not come from what others think. My identity comes because of who the Lord is. And if you don't know the Lord as your savior and have an identity in the Lord, oh friend, come to know Christ. But Doug, you wouldn't take me because you don't know my past. See, the thing is, it's so cool, I don't have to know your past. He already knows your past and he says come. And that's wonderful mom, sometimes you just feel defeated, don't you? You just wonder if you're really doing a good job or, hey, he loves you. He loves you. Hannah's heart is ecstatic in the Lord. Hannah's dignity is elevated in the Lord. And his mouth is euphoric because of the Lord's salvation. I'll just say, all of this talking that she's giving right here comes out of a woman that has sat down and processed and thought through what has happened in her life and what the Lord has done. This just doesn't happen by willy-nilliness. This is a woman here that is processing life through the lens of her God. And friends, I am telling you the theology she is about to lay out here about who God is and what God will do. Put any theologian face down. Watch how she builds it, because she doesn't just say it, but she builds this. Let's see how she builds this. Let me read verses two through eight. By the way, this is all note you in the grammar. This is all in the present tense about the Lord. Verses two through eight. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings the life He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world." Let's go back, work these five things I've got out of this, Lord in the present that she's building, why she is so euphoric in the Lord. Number one, there is none set apart like that you. See that in verse two? Uh, there is none holy like the Lord. Holy. We really don't understand that, and frankly, I don't think we ever can understand it. If we get to a point where it's like, yeah, I think I understand what holy is, I would say this, step back, get face down, and give it another shot. Because I don't think we really grasp holy. But the best word for me in understanding it is, is it means set apart. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It's set apart, set apart, set apart is the Lord. The Lord is holy. And Hannah has learned that. He, she has learned that people are broken. That society is broken. She has learned that even she herself is broken. And when she ponders who the Lord is and what the Lord has done in her life, she steps away and she just goes, there is none holy, there is none set apart like the Lord. Just none, none at all. All will disappoint, all will hurt. But then there is a God who is just set apart unlike. Secondly, there is none unique like the Lord kind of similar with the first, but it's getting more down to this idea of there's none besides the Lord. I'll say this, we tend to humanize God. We kind of tend to want to make God just a little bit bigger than us, so we can kind of call him God, but yet manage him in certain ways. And yet here in this, there's this idea there is none unique like the Lord. By the way, uh, John in Revelation 1 was confronted with that reality in his own life where he there he was with Christ for 3 years the incarnate Christ and then in John chapter 1 he meets the resurrected glorified magnified Jesus Christ and he falls face down thinking as though he's going to die in his presence The Lord is unlike. By the way, that reminds me of Revelation chapter 5, when the scrolls in the Father's hand and the the angels cry out. Who is going to open the scroll? And Revelation 5 tells us that that they look in in the heavenlies, and then they look in the heavens and the stars all around the universe, and then they look on earth, they look in the mountains, they look in the seas, they look all over. No one is worthy to open the scroll. And then all of a sudden, it's like, the lamb who's the lion. Steps up to the plate. And I'll say this there is none like the Lord. None. None. He is set apart and none is like him. And this woman gets that and is growing in that. There's none unique like the Lord. Third, there is no rock like the Lord. The end of verse 2 says, uh, We build things off of rock beds. Rocks are strong, they're mighty, and rocks can be beautiful. Women like to wear beautiful, shiny rocks. Don't you? (laughs) I thought I'd get a little bit stronger. (laughs) Amen. We name big wrestlers the rock. (laughs) That's for the guys. Got to throw the guys something today. But know this. Hannah declares, there is no rock like the Lord. Such a cool, cool image. There's none set apart like the Lord. There's none unique like the Lord. There's no rock like the Lord. By the way, in that, she kind of puts in this comment. In, uh, take no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. I think it's building off of what she's just met, said there. It's like, hey, you want to go toe-to-toe with the Lord? You kind of want to criticize the Lord or kind of think he's like not doing a very good job today, which sometimes it's like, what are you doing, Lord? And that's okay to question. But then there comes a point in time where it's like we get so proud and arrogant, we think we want to take the Lord on duty it out together and that's a losing battle because none is set apart like the Lord none is unique like the Lord and the Lord is like no other rock number four building off of that the Lord is a God of divine knowledge see that for the Lord is a God of knowledge end of verse three today we just talked about rock today we sometimes use the term man they're dumb as a rock that's not the Lord The Lord's knowledge is divine. It is above. It is superior. I am absolutely sure Hannah as a human questioned the Lord. I mean, how can you not read chapter 1 and walk away and go, Listen, when she's pouring her soul out to the Lord at times, there was certainly times she's like, seriously, God, like, why? Like, seriously, God, why would you allow this? Like, God, are, are you just playing with me, punking me? God, do you really actually know what you're doing? Do you even care? Friends, you cannot read 1 Samuel chapter one and think that Hannah was a rock. Unlike. Hannah had to have times where it's like, God, do you really know it all? And friends, that's okay to ask. It's okay to even press in. We see that all through the Psalms. But there comes a point in time to where it's like, wait a second, Lord, my knowledge is not divine, sovereign, and eternal, but yours is. And I may not like what you're doing. I may not understand what you're doing. I may not understand where this is going. I may not understand even now why me. Lord, I'm going to leave it in your divine knowledge hands. And that is maturity. And that is hard. Amen? Amen. That is hard. The Lord is a God of knowledge, but also, verse 3, the Lord is a God of divine activity. By the way, the way this reads, I think, in English isn't quite what we do generally comment I'm just going to take a second on this it says at the end of verse three and by him actions are weighed Uh, that reads as though it's kind of like uh, God brings judgment I actually don't think that's really what the intent here is I think in the original language it carries more this idea that actually this is talking about his actions that all of his actions are weighed why they're weighed how? They're weighed by his divine knowledge. In his divine knowledge, he acts. All actions are weighed by him. And that brings hope, because even with with what I was just talking about, everything that takes place from a sovereign God, and we sit back and go, okay, maybe you can think above this better than I can, but, but I am so not understanding the actions that you are doing or the actions that you are allowing in this. But know this, the Lord's divine knowledge and His actions are working together. And even in our not understanding things, His activity is divine, And his knowledge is divine. And if anybody had the right to question God, Hannah was one of them. Why would God close her womb? There is none set apart like the Lord, Hannah says. There is none unique like the Lord. There is no rock like the Lord. The Lord is a God of divine knowledge. The Lord is a God of divine activity. By the way, that's all in the present reality of her time and our time. Hey, Hannah, can you give us some examples of that? Sure can, and she does in her prayer. Verse four through eight, he breaks the bows of the mighty and gives feeble strength. By the way, make sure as you read this, and the same thing with the Proverbs, don't read them as though these are stating as the Proverbs, Uh, don't read them as that they are stating promises. These are just examples of. When you read the Proverbs and you see something stated, that's not a promise to every person all the time. It is a general principle of reality. And even in these on it, as Hannah goes through these, he breaks the bows of the mighty and gives the feeble strength. That's, that, that's, it's a principle that is common of it all. She's giving examples of it, but it's not a promise all the time because I will just know this. There are some feeble in the world who will die as martyrs for the Lord. Okay? and But yet she's giving examples. He breaks the bows of the mighty and gives the feeble strength. He makes the full go hungry and the hungry he fills. Verse five, he forlorns the fertile and allows the barren to give birth. Again, as I'll say it, it's not a promise everywhere all the time because I'll tell you, if if you or someone is a barren woman for life, that takes total hope away from them. But there are times where the Lord has taken the barren and allowed them to have children. And then as his sovereignty, there are times where he doesn't. Verse 6, he takes life, he brings life. Middle of verse 6, he makes the sick and he raises up well. Verse 7 and 8, he makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. And it's just a reminder of verse 8, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. But I don't like that the Lord gets to choose all of those And do all those. After all, who does he think he is? Well, he is set apart unlike any. He is unique unlike any. He is a rock unlike any. And he is a God of divine knowledge and a God of activity. And we rest in that. And then she goes to the Lord in the future. Verse 9 and 10. Verse 9. He will. See, students, grammar matters. Grammar matters. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man, shall a woman prevail. Know this He will guard the faithful. Sometimes it looks and it feels like that the wicked are winning all the time, doesn't it? And this isn't saying that he will never allow bad things to happen. That's not what it's saying. But ultimately, in it all, the Lord will guard his own. If you know Christ is your Savior and you're redeemed in Christ, he guards you. Hold on to that. Because sometimes that's all there is to hold on to. Hold on to that. He guards the faithful. Verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. By the way, we're actually going to see some of that next Sunday in the text. Next Sunday. The Lord will thunder against his adversaries. Building off of verse 9, Hannah and doing life with the Lord knows that the adversaries of the Lord will be thundered upon by the Lord. Listen, this is not Hannah calling God's curses on her own personal enemies. Okay? This whole sister-wife thing, yeah, I don't want to go there again. But with that whole thing with Peninnah, it's not like she is saying, God, thunder on her. Uh, God, thunder on them. Uh, God, thunder on those who have picked on me over those years of hurt as a barren woman. God, just thunder. It's not what that is about. That's not at all. Say it's not. It's not that. We do not thrust God for our purposes. Just know this, God has it all and in God's perfect knowledge and his perfect activity includes at times, God thunders on his adversaries and there's a hope in that. I mean, there's a future in that. And we look into the book of Revelation and we have hope. in it. Listen friends, all of this, the Lord will thunder. The Lord will thunder and he will make all right. God is not so much, if you will, my divine deity to cast about. God casts himself about by his divine knowledge and by his divine activity in his own time. And there's assurance in that. There's hope in that. Third, middle of verse 10, the Lord will judge the earth. Not only will he thunder against his adversaries, but the Lord will judge the earth. Again, Hannah is not declaring God's doom on people, but Hannah has hope in it. Maybe there's some today that... um, Maybe there's some today in here that are just, you are wrestling with bitterness over having been treated horribly. Horribly. There's reassurance in this text that the Lord will take care of it. The Lord will take care of it. Not you. Not you. And it's not denying the hurt, it's not denying the heaviness of it. But it is acknowledging the divine knowledge of the Lord and the divine activity of the Lord and putting it in his his hands and letting him handle it. Kind of like Hannah in chapter one. Set it there. And move on. The Lord will judge the earth. I don't know about you, but that just gives me hope. Verse 10, the Lord will give strength to his king. This is really interesting. Hannah's looking ahead. We actually don't know exactly what time Hannah wrote this prayer. Was it shortly after she had Samuel? What was, was it at what point in time was this? We don't quite know. Was this later in her life? We don't quite know. But what's happening here in this statement is Hannah is looking to the future and she is seeing that that the Lord is going to give strength to his king she's hoping in God's plans Listen, that's why, uh, I'm sorry for bringing Revelation, so I preached on some of it last week, and so it's fresh in me. And that's why in chapter one in it, where it talks about the book of Revelation is supposed to impact how we live today. Knowing what God is gonna do in the future impacts how we live today. And here on this, surely she is thinking not only about future uh, in the ultimate, but but it, the book of Re- the book of Judges ended with a statement, in these days there was no king in Israel. Oh, and by the way, her son, Samuel is going to be the king crowner. He is going to be the one that anoints Saul. He is going to be the one that anoints King David. And here in it, uh, uh, the Lord will give strength to his king. She knows that God is moving all things forward and surely there's, there's an implication here now that we have more fullness of understanding of God's redemptive work in time that the Messiah is coming and that the Messiah is the one. God, the, the, you see, she's hanging on the future. Okay? That's what good thinking theologians do. They hang on what's headed and what's down the line. And that gives us strength for the now. And that's the next thing. The Lord will elevate his anointed. In the centuries leading up to Hannah, God's people are just a mess of self-centeredness. They're doing what's right in their own eyes and people, God's people are going nowhere with it and even in her own life, she feels hopeless like she's going nowhere but here she's all of a sudden remembering and she's writing down and declaring before the Lord the fact that God, you're taking this all somewhere and it's even bigger than me, it's beyond me because it's your thing and the fact that it's not my thing actually gives me hope. Because I'm a mess. And so are you. That would be a great place for an amen. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say, man, do you see what's happening here? Hannah's circumstances are not driving her identity here. Through hard circumstances, she has come to learn that life is hard. Life has heavy weights to it. Life life, life hits us in the back of the head sometimes when we're not looking and not expecting it. And yet in it, circumstances don't drive my identity. Who the Lord is drives my identity. And what the Lord will do drives my identity. And so when the circumstances hit, it's not that the circumstances are, are, are like, you're not standing out there going, bring them on, man. Just bring them on harder and more. I don't know if you're praying that. God bless you. But here she is just seeing in who the Lord is and what the Lord is doing. If I could say it this way, Hannah is abiding in the Lord. That's what this whole prayer is about. She is taking life with the Lord and bringing life into it with the Lord. And she's processing it, working it, and wrestling it, and struggling in it, and yet in it all she sees her God. And who he is, and what he will do. And she is ecstatic about it, and euphoric about it. Mothers, life circumstances will never stop crying for you. Feed me, change me. Drive me. Do my homework for me. They will never stop crying out for you. And by the way, life circumstances will never stop crying at you. What do I mean by that? More. You should be giving more. That's not enough. That's all you've got? Why can't you? And so much as this is the battle that we wrestle in our minds. Am I right? Life circumstances not only don't stop crying for you, but they don't stop crying at you. And we are at a battle in our thinking, but know this, life circumstances do not define you. Walking with the Lord And doing life with the Lord does. And motherhood is a blessing and a gift from God. And what your children need to see is a mom and a grandma. Maybe a great-grandma. Who is grounded in the Lord. That's what they need. That's what they need to see. They need to see a mom whose life and whose mind is filled with truth, like Hannah's 10 verses. There is none holy like the Lord. None besides you, Lord. There is no rock like you. You are a God of all knowledge. God, your actions are sovereign and supreme. Lord, you guard the fate, the feet of the faithful, Lord. Lord, 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 you will thunder, Lord. You'll take care of it. I'm going to leave that. Listen, when those things are coming through a mom and a grandma, I am telling you, lives are are radically impacted. Amen. But ultimately, it's their choice. Moms, thank you for all your work, and your labor, and your learning, and your love. Let's pray. Father Mother's Day can be some of the most marvelous days and some of the most hard days in people's lives. Emotions run all over the place. And we have this tendency to put our hope and to put our identity, our dignity, in all of our surrounding circumstances. And yet, surrounding circumstances change and morph. They are not stable. And as a result, God, we have this tendency to be chasing shiny objects all the time. Sometimes it's just trying to keep our lips above water and the weight of life. So God, I pray for the women in this room today. The young women, middle-aged women, the older women. I pray for the moms in this room. I pray for those who are not moms in this room. God, I pray for those who in this room have hurt, associated with motherhood. God, we love them. We are so grateful for the women here. And Father, I pray that we as men and we as children would would support the women here and love on them, encourage them and call them, help them and love them because they are a delight to us. Oh, if this world were filled with just men, what a mess it would be. But your image, your glory, your uniqueness is expressed. And even the uniqueness of men and women. And on this day, Mother's Day, We rejoice in you for having created women. And we thank you for them. God, we would pray for the... Moms and the grandmas and the great grandmas, that you would instill in them an ability through the Spirit of God to be women of the Word of God who abide increasingly so in you. And in those short minutes of naps or in the short minutes of, 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 the few seconds of silent time that might be coming back from work or on the way to work or whatever it might be, God. I just pray that you would be loving on them and drawing them and that they would be drawing themselves to you and that like Hannah, that they would be gathering their depth and their breadth and their strength and their hope and their dignity and their view of life from you. Oh God, I pray that you would raise up a woman here who would love you increasingly so with an increasing depth of reality. That they would have that, that soul praise reality of absolute delight in the Lord even when life is hard. Not because it feels good, but because you are good. Encourage the hurting. Come alongside those who need help. Show yourself mighty. And God, we would pray that a mountain load of children would be impacted. their moms and their grandmothers and their great-grandmothers for your glory. In Christ's name we pray.